It's time once again for the Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast. Worship Ministry Catalyst is a resource for all worship leaders and team members serving in the local church. So take a seat at the table and join the conversation as we discuss all things worship, from team dynamics to technology and song selection. And now it's time for the show. All right. We are we are live in session and trying this episode. Did you determine what number we're on, David? And I got our we're backwards on the screen. <laughs> 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 Perfect. That's great. All that work. I love it. Yeah. What episode are we? 215? 215. All right. Well, welcome to Worship Ministry Catalyst, episode 215. As we go through, I will swap David and myself, but uh, very, uh, very happy to bring back a, a friend of the podcast, Rich Kirkpatrick, with his glorious mustaches, Mr. Poro. Um, <laughs> grateful to have you. Oui, here. oui, monsieur. Oui, oui, monsieur. Uh, do you speak French? <laughs> No. Okay. I don't been know. to France so, though so, one time. You can say whatever you want. I eat French toast every once in a while, but that's that's about that's as far good. as I can go. Croissants. Croissant. I don't know. My wife speaks yeah, some song. French. David, do you speak French? No, I took French in uh, seventh grade. I remember the alphabet. That's about it. All right. Well, so we've lost about half our listeners now. Let's. Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lindner, what are we talking to Mr. Kirkpatrick about today? I know we've got a few things. Yeah, well, I mean, for one, we should just uh, reintroduce reintroduce him to the to the podience, and uh, it was. I went and wait, it wait up, a second. Was, Did you say podience? Yeah. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> from uh, the skit guys. Did you guys ever heard of the skit guys? They did a lot of videos. Well, they had a podcast too, and he called one of the guys called them their their podience the podcast audience. So, okay. Well, let's lean into that one. Lean into that. Anyway, I interrupted you. Go ahead. (laughs) No, you can interrupt me anytime you want. Um, but it was, it was 2014. So not quite as long as I was thinking, but, but, uh, six years ago was the last time we talked with Rich on the podcast. A lot has happened since then. So, uh, maybe you could reintroduce yourself to us a little bit and, and, uh, and tell us where you've come in the last six years and, well, we'll go from there. It's only been six years. Is that right? Yep, 2014. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, well, over the last six years, I have five of those years I spent as a worship leader and primary musician at a Lutheran church in San Clemente. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience in a mainline church. And, um, and, in a smaller church, which was great. Um, mostly volunteers, of course. Uh, and then I spent a year of last of, so that's the first five years. The last year I spent with uh, this huge mega church in Orange County, uh, in Yorba Linda. And I was kind of an in-house consultant on team development and production. So I went from an A-frame church with a piano and maybe some musicians once in a while to a a auditorium of 2,800 people could see with a million dollar video wall. (laughs) So there was a little bit of transition in that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so I spent a year there and had wore a couple different hats, which of course you guys know, I like to wear hats. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and now, and so that ended, it was on a contract, which is, it was a new thing for me, but it served me very well to do that because now I'm writing a book uh, about creativity and I'm finishing a degree from William Jessup University, a Master of Arts, and uh, just got my youngest graduated from college. So uh, it's been quite, uh, oh, and last year, we celebrated 30 years of marriage, and that was a big wow. deal. You guys were, ta- we were joking about speaking French or not? Well, we went to France. That was <laughs> awesome. our dream. It took us, you know, with story, the 20th anniversary we had to cancel, 25th we had to do something different. And we finally were able to say, you know, move whatever we had to move to do that. So anyway, so that's, it's been a very fun thing. And of course, during that past time, we've started uh, the group, a beautiful liturgy with my daughter and I, we collaborate writing um, music and our goal is to bridge basically tradition and history with where the future worship's going and uh, trying to create something new that you, but, but also that's lasting. And so we kind of have an, a, I guess I'd call it kind of a, a worship experiment 
that's not really meant to be a, a, a protest against all the stuff that's great that's going on with the big things um, that are going on, but also trying to just be something that's in a different path that maybe is trying to look forward beyond that. And, um, you know, because majority of churches are not these big um, box churches that have the million dollar video walls. Most of us, you know, who choose to worship uh, as Christians, worship in places that are 300 or less people. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so it's really a cool, uh, so we're trying to write for, for this whole other group of folks that we know and we're a part of for five years because my daughter and I did lead worship together. So anyway, so the last six years, I guess it's been kind of busy. I, uh, my book, The Six Hats of the Worship Leader, came out since that time, and that's done pretty well. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed because there's these academics who actually put it in a couple of their papers, like three or four of them. I go, really? They put that little book in there? I'm like, wow. <laughs> awesome. Um, but uh, so it's been quite a journey, one I would not have expected. Um, you enter the second half of life, as Richard Rohr calls it, um, and there's no really guide for it. So I am it. I am in that club now that has to forge a, uh, both look at all the stuff you've done in your adult life, but still you're in it, in the game. You have to be both the sage and the warrior. Mm-hmm. So getting used to that is really a difficult new season. Of course, in COVID, you know, we've all, we all understand what's going on with that. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't I know, but it gives you a little, little snapshot. There. Yeah. Yeah. I saw your mask hanging up there behind you, so I was going to say, so what's your what's your COVID journey been like? You're down in the Los Angeles area, so I'm sure it's different than a lot of us have experienced. Oh, it, the COVID journey. Wow. Um, what can I say? Uh, the COVID journey, quite quite a shock here, because we, we're one of the hot spots, as, as you guys know. Um, and wh- where we've been... Um, you know, just everything, it's like a ghost town. And now I think we're living kind of in denial of it. But my personal journey of it is, you know, we live in a, not a very big house with four adults. So it's not like we have two little kids, our, our adult children still live with us. So that's kind of a, a journey. It's a, it's a very cool thing to have them all around. But we have four of us stuck working, trying to do things, accomplish things in the small space. And um, we're working with, and a very big dog. Um <laughs> So far, we still love each other very much, um, but the isolation has really been hard, I think, for each of us in our family, um, even those of us who are introverts. Um, so I don't know if that's probably not too different than what most people have gone through, but I've stayed, I've had a couple nights kind of, just to be frank, where I was really worried. Like, this is, this is serious. Um, and I think I'm like with everybody else, um, where it's really kind of like an accumulated grief. You know, you've lost some things. You can th- you feel guilty that you feel a sense of loss because you're fine, you're healthy. You still have a roof over your head. You still have some groceries in the refrigerator. There's still some money in the bank account, even though it's precarious. But it's you, you figure, you know, there's other people going through this. But, you know, this accumulated grief, you know, it's really something that all of us to some degree have. And uh, we're all mourning together, I think, but we don't really know how to do it together. You know, we don't know how to mourn as Christians, let alone as a culture. And I think that's something I'm I'm faced with just with my own bandwidth. Um, having lost my mother a couple of years ago, for instance. And mm-hmm. this is reminding me of some of the journey that that was. But there's not a def- definition on it. You know, it's an unseen enemy. Mm-hmm. So, but that, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, I'm really glad that you mentioned different- uh, yeah. the term grief, because that's something that uh, for my wife and I has been really upfront this year, not because we've experienced any specific loss. I lost my dad a couple of years ago and David knows that that kind of threw me for a major loop. Mm. Um, but, um, but this is our 20th anniversary year. I turned 50 this year. You know, there's some milestone occurrences this year and we had plans and then they went away. And so there's a sense of, um, there's a certain sense of guilt for feeling grief because we can look around and see that other people have experiences that are far more challenging than ours. Uh, and yet, uh, as a, a pastor told me maybe 17 years ago, it's still your journey. It's still your experience and you get to feel what you feel. Um, comparison really is, uh, an evil thing and can take away from you allowing you to experience that. So to know that I really appreciate you bringing up that idea of grief. And 
and um, giving permission to feel grief in this time and to, to mourn some things that we opportunities that we've lost as well as true loss. I mean, I, I'm getting my master's degree right now. And yeah. part of this journey is what's interesting is I was taking a class on justice hmm. and that was the week after George Floyd. Oh. And so I live in Long Beach. And so we had quite, quite a large response here. Uh, not as big as in Portland, perhaps ours consistent. <laughs> you guys are dealing with up yeah. there, but it was, you know, just down the street, you know, we live in an urban um, setting here. Um, businesses were being smashed and, Cars were driving around crazy for, you know, people that would come out of town that came into Long Beach. And it, so, the, you know, it's surreal to be in a moment in history where things are happening on your street, but they're also representative things that are happening globally to some degree. Um, and yet we still aren't together because of COVID to really talk about these things and our way our society is right now. We don't have the ability to really engage each other in a, in a very empathetic mm-hmm. way. So the grief, just going back to the what you talked about, grief, you need empathy to really be together. And it's it's really difficult to go through these kinds of things without addressing that. You know what? Regardless of our responses and our, our views on, let's say, politics, which I don't want to go there, but <laughs> we, we really uh, um, sh- are going through things that are common, that we should be willing to to look each other in the eye and say, you know, we're, we're all hurting right now. How do we love our neighbors and um, get through what's going on? And it's not an easy, it's, it's not an easy answer to that. I just think we're, I think this is showing that we need to learn more of this and use this opportunity uh, to learn what grief is about, which I am in kindergarten still about. Hmm. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been doing some thinking about that and I, you know, we're, I remember, you know, especially for for me, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't so much grief. It was more just it's been I, I think Joe and I have talked about um, about six months of just constant problem solving one week after another. Yeah. So when you're when you're working through problems constantly, it's you know, you don't really have time, I think, to wrestle with the emotions of it. But I know for my wife and my kids and a lot of people in the church, there has been a lot of grieving about you know, this, this whole, whole world that seems to not exist anymore. And, and uh, we, we joked about earlier, but just, you know, longing for that, that new normal, but not ever, not ever having enough time to even adjust to, to a normal before something else major happens. And, and so, you you know, I think, I think there are probably a certain number of people that are just kind of in a constant state of grief, you know, they almost get there, they almost get to a point, you know, of, of, of dealing with it and then and then something happens and they're and they're thrown off balance again so yeah i, I think it's i think really what what it is and just you know to be too philosophical but I, th- I think really we we worship uncertainty and and that's excuse me i'm gonna run out of battery here and that, i think i think the <laughs> worshiping un- uncertainty is excuse me folks this is real world here that's all right. Um, if you're watching the window on Facebook, you can see as David dropped off and then dropped back in with his video that now I'm trying to restructure the. F- <laughs> so, all right. No, I didn't think that was going to throw it off like yeah, that. It's all a mess. <laughs> off so, in my office. So, so uh, yeah. We, well, yeah. well uh, the quote that I was just thinking of about uncertainty is most people prefer that certainty, certainty to misery, certainty of misery to the misery of the uncertainty. So, in other words, we rather, you know, know bad news and know what the facts are then this unknown and the fact that we have unknown it changes on us reality changes on us so there's something new that we say oh no it's 2020 look what's happening now we've got uh you know uh killer wasps from Mm -hmm. asia that are the size of a horse (laughs) so you know what's next gonna hit us and so really it, it makes it hard to even just put your head down on the pillow because you're just like well but I think this is really the the um, it, it goes against humanity's desire for some sense of certainty. And I think part of what I think as Christians we've maybe not done a good job of is we sold certainty um, mm. and cheapened the idea of just what the struggle is to really have faith in issues of everyday life. Um, 
And, you know, our worship music, for instance, you know, is all about being rescued as opposed to us having God with us by our side, with us as a sentient person, you know, mm-hmm. who has a mind of his own or her own. Uh, we, we're praying in our songs to a God who wants to just take us out, rescue us and, and deliver us from us, break our change, just make it gone. And what we're finding is, I think, that that's really a false story. Mm-hmm. The real story is that God walks with us. Like Jesus' right. disciples walked with him, and they weren't always smart. Like, we're not always smart. We have to learn to listen and walk with, with God. And I think what we're seeing in our liturgy that's kind of impacted us, but we're also seeing in just how my own weakness is this muscle of learning to walk through the, the consistent um, desert that we're in that maybe we're not aware of. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we can't look away now at what's going on. We can't look away at several different things going on at the same time. Right. And so the question I have for myself is, am I willing to allow that to shape me to, to see that God's with me and not just going to just rip me out of it, but he's going to be with me in this. And there's a story, Lutheran, a Lutheran story. Um, there's a song that Emily and I um, are saying, we think we all are God. And we, this is probably on our list to rewrite and reimagine. But the writer of that song was during the plague. And he was one of the few pastors that survived the plague in Germany. So he was doing about 30 burials a day, services wow. a day. Um, he was like the only guy left, right? right? And so he writes this song, Now We Think We All Are God. And it's a song of thanksgiving, but it's birthed like like many of the psalms are out of this intense trial. And and I really see how what we all are going through together right now is very similar time, even though it's not, you know, we're not um, to the degree that that was, mm-hmm. but it's still um, in the same category. Um, and are we willing to write those kinds of songs? And I think it takes a different kind of strength to, to do that, which, which I would say I'm still working on that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite there, honestly. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, it's uh, one of the things that uh, I actually just shared this morning is just what are we allowing? Are we allowing ourselves to grow, to learn um, uh, the... um, It gets very comfortable to be in rut. We We allow ourselves to get in these ruts. Uh, either people put us there or we put ourselves in there. And, um, and so when we are trying to do something that's outside of that routine or comfort zone, it's really easy to get discouraged, uh, in that. And in a year, in a year like this year, where you're really trying to, if you're trying to do something different, it's almost like you just want to, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to huddle here for a little bit. And when it gets back to normal, then I will try to do something different. Uh, but at, at least that's what I, one of the things that I take from what you're saying, it, it just, well, we'd rather binge Netflix mm. than actually just kind of be productive on some other, on things we don't have to be productive about because it's just, it's painful. Yeah. Right. Um, and one of the things I know that I'm learning about creativity, cause I, I mentioned to you guys, I'm working on a book on this and then it is, is it hurts to create. It takes not just effort, but it's, it's really exposing ourselves, er, yeah. revealing ourselves, kind of like apocalyptic, you know, the apocalyptic writers in scripture who had to reveal. I think it's it, when we create as, as people and um, it, it reveals ourselves, it reveals our uh, vulnerabilities, hopefully, and that's the good stuff that comes out. And so it's for some of us, you know, to go and do something proactive um, when we'd rather just wait. I know I can go and let's binge another show, which no, I have not done that, of course. Um, or, <laughs> you know, I still like video games. It's great, you know. Uh, but, you know, there's, it's just really like uh, we're waiting for that. And it's kind of like waiting for a diagnosis. Mm. You know, we're just waiting. When is the diagnosis going to come? When am I going to know? You know, and I went through this um, a couple of years ago where they had a scan that was a, a misread of a big tumor in my chest. And so... I said, when's that diagnosis going to come? And I, it, this reminds me of that emotion, what we're going through with COVID right now. Mm-hmm. And it, we're just waiting for the diagnosis. Just give us, if it's the worst possible news, fine. That gives me certainty. But almost, it's like the whisper of God on my shoulder, or my shoulder saying, Rich, you know, that's not what you're going to get right now. 
but I'm here. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's not what I want. I want the rescue. I want to sing that song and put my arms up, sing loudly, over shout everything going on. And this is a song that Emily and I wrote. And part of the reason for writing this was just, you know, came in time. The song In the Silence that we just released uh, this summer, the story of Elijah, where, you know, the earthquakes came and the fire and all of these things. But it was in the silence. It's sheer silence is some of uh, one of the meanings of, of the words there that he heard God's voice. And we have silence in the sense that we have some subtraction of anything that's really feeling good for us right now. That it's 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 where we need to go. Um, and so the song is aspirational, maybe not so much for Emily, because she's she might get this better than I even get this, but it's aspirational. How can I go in that place? Batterson, Mark Batterson calls it the uh, whispering spot. Where do I find that 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 place? Uh, and it's not going to be when the diagnosis comes. That's what I'd like it to be. Um, it's going to come in those moments I'm I'm ready to um, open myself to. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, that's one of the things we we wanted to talk about, and you kind of started talking about there naturally, as as you should. Um, but um, you're you're doing this project with your daughter, which I I find incredible, and so. Uh, I thought it might be fun to to talk about what that what 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 that's like, you know, the dynamics of doing doing a creative project uh, with with someone you raised, <laughs> and uh, where there's uh, you know all along the journey, and you know I'm sure you know relationship stuff, you know that uh, that comes up through that, and I'm guessing you have a great relationship. On it looks like that anyway from the outside, so that's awesome, but. Uh, what's that process like? What's a, what's the journey been like, and what's the process like for creating together uh, with your daughter? Well, it's a, it's a, first of all, it's you do have to have a relationship, and you have to have a set of rules. Whenever you're in any creative situation, you have to have just like in technology, what's your problem domain? And so we set up problem domain, of course, for folks you know who I grew up in Silicon Valley. So some of these terms I hear because all the people I know are software engineers, right? Or whatever. <laughs> and I'm not, but it's, it's setting up the parameters of what needs to be delivered and how you're going to describe them and what you're going to keep within it. So we've come up with a set of rules. We want to write music that um, is singable by male and female at church, that it can be done with a piano or guitar, that it can be somewhat singable for a congregation, of course, that it has lasting theological significance to it so it could tie into history but also be you know something that's worth not just throwing away mm-hmm. as a passe and that's the desire so in coming up with it which i think you know is is really what most creatives do that a lot of people don't understand like people who do anything whether they make a car build a car or whatever you have to have what is it that you're trying to do and, and so we both experienced this desire you know from her perspective as, as a 20-something um, wanting to connect to the past. I think the millennial generation, which is now more than come of age, they really want, um, they want to know where their roots are. And I think a lot of times, you know, when I was coming of age, working for the baby boomers that I worked for, it was let's tear any kind of religious symbol out because it represents, it's kind of like a new Puritanism, anything that smacks of Catholicism or whatever, we're just going to take away because those are creepy symbols to people who have baggage. And some of that's probably true. But what I've noticed uh, from my own personal experience is our creation comes from talking about those kind of values and the hunger. And then realize, you know, I have that hunger. I don't think if I went to church history, I probably would not have the faith I have today if I didn't allow myself to go back and see what Christianity has been throughout the centuries. Um, and look at how bigger it is than just America or just the contemporary worship environment that I was raised within. And so it's been healing for me. And so we kind of had a little bit of that same journey, which makes it great to create together because we know when we sit down to write something, this is what our rules are. And my daughter will point out, because she's more of the rule keeper and I'm more of the rule breaker. um, (laughs) This is the, these, this is our parameters. I thought we're keeping within an octave. Is it okay to break the rules then? So we took a song we were writing and in order to keep it within an octave, because a a good feedback I got from a producer was that the chorus was not high enough compared to this. He loved the verse. I said, well, it's high for my voice. 
So we'll just have me sing the chorus and you sing the verses and, and work it out. So this, so in other words, we're, that's how we create. We, we created the problem domain clearly, what, what it is we want to create, why we're doing it. And, and then the relationship, of course, is, is our journey together and separately. Um, that song, In the Silence, I was talking about was written because both of us had small group experiences at the church I was attending because they have a Quaker background and a Baptist background. And sitting in silence was, was presented in those small groups in this one book that they had uh, for the whole church to go through um, as what you did. So you don't have to hear anything from God. You don't have to. It's not about that. It's just about the discipline of being willing and open to listening. Hmm. And um, which I thought was really great because I had been exposed to some charismatic situation, which I'd actually liked them, but that was all about if you didn't have a certain experience that you weren't really, Mm -hmm. you know, mustering up enough, whatever it was, faith or whatever. And then I've also been on the other side where secessionists who said nothing of these experiences should exist, you know? Um, And so, but this was something different and it was very life-changing for both of us. And when we, went together to talk about this. We also remembered a sermon that our pastor, Jeff Froner from the Lutheran Church, um, taught uh, in one of the uh, um, sermons. And so we both had some shared experience and separate experiences. And so when we created like that song, for instance, it was just, just really kind of rich in that way. Just And then to top it off, um, you know, my nephew is the one who produced it. He uh, is Emily's age. So it was great to have a 20 something family member, another one come in. So I was kind of voted out by the way. So I have this majority of younger people, um, even though we were paying him, he's still, you know, he's the creative, uh, he's, he's doing a lot of creative control over what he's doing. And it was exciting to see that collaboration too. Um, and so anyway, so it's great. And I, I think that's really those of us who are a little bit more advanced in, in life, the joy of the future is, is that, we can still create. We should be. and But it's not about, um, it's not a zero sum. I think when we create things, it actually leads to more things. And, and it leads to more things. It's kind of just like when you have, you know, how the population has grown is actually, as a Christian, it's a beautiful thing. Because that's what, at the beginning in Genesis, subdue the earth, multiply. So there's this beauty of, of, of just creation that happens. And so, um, every time, and I have many stories for this, every time that some creation has happened, uh, it's come out of some difficult response mm-hmm. to a difficult situation. And it, and you look back on it and say, well, things happened because of that. Had I not created something, had, I not, had you guys not done a podcast, you might, wouldn't have met people. You wouldn't have had the experiences that led to other experiences that led to other experiences multiplied over. And so I really think that's kind of the kind of how that collaboration works. Is it? It's really such an additive thing. It's the synergy to the max is when you you work, and then if you add the synergy beyond that of the Holy Spirit being part of your process, when you're cognizant or not of it, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, and you know the, the results of it is it's still an experiment. You know, um, our Spotify plays aren't huge, uh, but we love the fact that what we are doing for the folks that we have, it's accomplishing what we'd like it to do. I was just, I was going to go, I think, I think you're doing better than me. Spotify. <laughs> well, Spotify plays, so. <laughs> whatever. I mean, but we can measure things by that. Yeah. But again, we're in a long game. I think that's kind of what I learned from the, my Lutheran mainline experience is that one of the quotes our pastor would tell us, and this is a COVID type quote and they asked Martin Luther, the end of the world was happening next week. Well, what would you do? And he said, I'd plant a tree. And I think it's kind of almost the same as I would share the gospel. I would live the gospel out. I would be, you know, and I think I'd create something. Um, so I think having the long game changes the, the variable because when you start creating something, you think only of the metrics that really is not motivating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Was, I, go. Did you have something, Joe? I always have something, but go ahead. Okay. I, I talk plenty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I was just, I was going to mention, you know, the, what you were talking about with, with the liturgy, you know, the, the idea, and this is something Joe and I've talked about, something Kevin and I talked about a lot over the years was 
um, I remember it was my choir director in college called, you know, our, our modern worship music, you know, tissue music. I don't know where that, where that came from. It was but like, you know, yeah, use it once and throw it away. And oh, you know, oh kind oh. of a, uh, uh, he was, yeah, wasn't, wasn't super big into uh, the modern worship, uh, you know, yeah. idea, but hmm. at the same time, you know, and, and I'm, and I like it all, uh, you know, like, I like modern worship, but I also, you know, I grew up in a church where we sang only hymns. And to this day, you know, if I'm if I'm going through something, you know, you know, or if, if I feel like, you know, whatever the season may be where I'm needing needing to you know needing to sing, you know, through through a through one of those difficult seasons, it's almost never any a song that's been written and that we've sung in the last 30, 40 years. It's the songs that we grew up singing in the church, the hymns and the and the things that 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 have a uh, have more of a a longer view like you were talking about. Um, and, and, you know, if I were to start writing, I haven't written any songs in years and years and years, but I would want to write, I'd probably want to do what you're doing or, you know, hymns. I thought about writing new, new hymns, that kind of a thing. But, but I really appreciate what you were saying, you know, about the content, you're trying to write content that lasts, but you're also trying to write it like, like a hymn writer would um, in, in a way that it can, that it can last. Right. You know, a lot of our a lot of our modern worship music, as great as it is, can't last for for very long. Um, you know, I think Joe and I were joking a few episodes ago about the songs that start out, you know, start out low so you can take it up an octave, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And that's yeah. that's a fun thing, a trendy thing for right now, but it's not a thing that's going to last for generations. You know, you're not going to you're not going to write that in a in a hymnal and and have, you know, <laughs> first verse sing the first verse down one octave you know second verse up and you know thinking and, and that'd be kind of funny i guess if somebody we should yeah, we should do this, that we this should is, <laughs> this is like interesting because the throwaway thing to me is a big question yeah and it's a big motivator for us and part of this i learned from the millennials you know whatever you call being a gen xer on the older end of gen xer here um that when i wrote my six hats of the worship leader book I, it was just going to be ebook because it's kind of short, you know. But ebooks are great. I like ebooks, you know. Everybody I knew, but when I would go to conferences, people say, "Well, where's your book?" I said, "Well, it's here, you know, it's on Amazon." And they go, "No, where's your book?" <laughs> and then I started talking, and I talked to my daughter. She only buys books. She doesn't buy ebooks. Mm-hmm. And I go, "What is that?" They buy vinyl records. We pressed a vinyl because of that reason. Yeah. And I think there is this, there is a hunger for things. Our society, everything's throwaway. Everything's meant to be obsolete. And I've had, you know, um, it's a miracle because, you know, those, you know, those of us here in audio, some microphones, I mean, they, they should last forever unless you drop them or some humidity weird gets inside of them. Um, <clears throat> I've had microphones for many, many years that still work. I'm wor- working on one that's brand new, but I'm sure if I take care of it, this thing will last for you know, a decade or more of uh, speakers, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain things we buy that we expect to last furniture, but this young generation, they grow up with things that, you know, nothing lasts software changes. I mean, how many times has Facebook interface changed and killed us right. all? <laughs> I mean, there's, you can't, so we're in this constant and speak about back to uncertainty. We talk about the COVID, I think with worship music, we have a certainty now. And the, I think the pattern is, 68 beats per minute. Now, if you were to like do a survey, which I, I haven't done this academically yet, but my impression is just looking through music, there's certain, you know, time signatures and keys and hooks and things that are just predictable. For instance, the tom solo during the bridge or the tom buildup during the bridge of a modern worship song, boom, 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 it keeps going up. Or the octave jump, mm-hmm. which for females is really difficult, by the way, because, you know, they have different vocal ranges they're singing those songs in. And but all these things, you know, there is a liturgy to the modern worship as it's gone from contemporary. Now it's modern worship um, has that is uh, using loops, um, uh, multi-tracks. We just talked all about those that. things. Are, yeah. Yep. All those things are very much in, they're, and they unchanging. When I talk to younger worship leaders and just the situation I was in, the, the music director there who whether he hears this or not, because he's a great guy, he is talented beyond talented so he could you know i see you're probably falling asleep doing this stuff aren't you he goes yes um he's a 20 something year old guy who could orchestrate he could do anything like that but 
using loops, reducing everything down. The pianist is playing these three notes all the time. You know, everything is reduced so it's it's predictable, it's certain, and it delivers a. And so I look back to what you're saying, David, about hymns. We're kind of creating through our structure, ironically, and this is my observation, a where we complain about hymns having their structure, we have a structure that's even more rigid today that's difficult to shake. Mm-hmm. So what Emily and I are trying to do subversively, because that's what I love to be, is um, we're trying to show people that something else can be done that's modern, that's singable, that's different. Without saying this is bad, because I don't necessarily think it's bad. It's just what's working for a lot of people right now. But a lot of us, um, you know, the idea of divergent and convergent thinking we're converging. Give me the blank to fill in the one answer. And that's kind of where I'm going to go. It's like how we study SAT tests. And the divergent thinking is, am I open to different possibilities that could achieve the same results? And of course, I think the idea of divergent thinking, just as a sidebar here, is very difficult for our current society because we only look for this one answer. And this is those of us who really think the Bible is authoritative, for instance, doesn't mean there's only one answer for every verse. But yet, we want to take things so strictly that there's only one thing all the time, only one right thing. There could be two, and maybe sometimes there is only one, by the way. <laughs> I'm not saying there isn't. Right. But when it comes to our worship music, where what if there's different ways we could worship? What if you could put a hymn and rewrite it? What if you don't have to rewrite it? What if you what if your new songs you're writing could have a different tempo? What if it could be a precatory psalm. What if you can use the psalms as a pattern? Because I think you need structure. This is where I think this this is the to take this around the loop. If you were to explain to people that we have biblical structures in place that they could borrow from, like songs that talk about anger, we have a lot of angry people. Well, let's go to the psalms and see how they prayed and sang together about their anger, about injustice. And then let's see that there's a proper way to do that and use that structure to help our liturgy, help our worship. Or, you know, uh, song, songs of praise, I think we're, we've even sunk down that because I'm old enough to know that praise in worship used to be a thing. Now it's just called worship. We've taken out that whole, the word halal, you know, it's like, where is it? It used to be like we had t-shirts with that word on there back in the day, you know, with vineyard and the early integrity and, and all that stuff, praise and worship. And, um, and um, Lester Ruth, Dr. Lester Ruth, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a liturgist. He's a researcher. He's writing. He's written and he is writing scholarly work on contemporary worship. So Google his name up because he's brilliant. And I've got a chance to sit with him. Inley and I did. And he he is one who encouraged us. He took us to a songwriting retreat. And he and a theologian together, both academics, in the mornings would teach us. And the goal was we're going to teach you history and theology of Christmas. And we want you then to go and write new Christmas hymns for it, because there's very few that are very historical and theological. And so we wrote one of my favorite songs that we've ever written called Glory Be to God on High, which is um, uh, Charles Wesley's text. And the power of that was, is that we have this modern sounding, dreamy, almost mysterious song, but it's to these incredible lyrics that deserve to last. Um, but it structure is important. So, mm-hmm. you know, our people, I think the young people want us to go to history and to be bigger than me as a leader. So if I'm leading them, like I'm leading my daughter, I need to do it such a way as it's not just me. And I think this is, you know, no offense to, to generational war, but the baby boomers were very narcissistic. It's all about me, my face, my name, my credo. And, you know, forgive me, baby boomers, because I love you guys. But (laughs) what I think the next generation wants and needs from us is to be us and us being what's beyond me. What's what's before me? What's the history before me? And what's coming? Where are you at? And I'm part of it. And we're in this together. And I think that's kind of where worship, you know, intergenerational worship either becomes here's what I'm comfortable with. You are let's compromise instead of that instead of leading from the sense of we're all in the same thing together how can we create there's um a wonderful irony in what you're sharing there because i think of uh our culture in general you know in the united states is a uh, you know american christians is a, a stubborn one um and uh we um 
we bristle at constraints, but as you're talking about the structure that you and Emily have adopted, you are imposing a constraint that forces a greater degree of creativity. Um, that, you know, how can I work within these constraints to create something that's different? Uh, at the same time, there's people are asking for the rote answer. What is the answer? How do I fill this in? So it's this, don't tell me what to do, but my worldview is black and white. Uh, it, you know, it just don't tell me what to do, but tell me what the answer is for this slot. It's just, it, it's intriguing how we do that. Um, it's, um, we're so much alike, all of us, and nobody wants to us. hear. We don't want to hear that. It's we're not alike. a, and it's not a generational thing because yeah. that thing you're talking about is we want the Google answer and be done with it. That's the certainty. That's the idolatry of yeah. certainty. Yeah. But, um, one of the things in researching for the book of creativity and writing is Dr. Shelley Anderson from Harvard Medical School. She would scan the brains and, and deconstructed what happens with creativity and, her idea is that we have these brain sets where there's different parts of the brain that um, allow us to be better at different parts. Those of us who are wired differently, better at different parts of the creative process. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about is really what I mentioned about convergent and divergent thinking. We're convergent. We want the one answer. We're not, we don't know how to, but she has basically told us through her, in her research, ways you can grow, um, different parts of your brain to train. Oh, here's how you think that way. And it's a lot like meditation mm -hmm. and meaning as I'm praying, am I willing to listen for God's voice in the silence? For instance, we talked about that's a divergent way of, of thinking. I'm not looking for one thing for God to answer my, he's not here to answer my request. I'm here to just be open to 50 things. One thing or just the feeling of him being near me. And that's really, wow, that's different than, wanting that Google answer, God, I have, I'm now just put you, you know, in the, your search box and I'm looking for what that's supposed to be. I'm looking for that for my sermons, for my worship music, from politics, from everything. When really the hunger is, is to expand our minds. Uh, this is where Paul in the scripture, I think it's second Corinthians of him, right? I pray in the spirit and I pray with my mind. I sing with the spirit and I sing with my mind. The fact that we have this mind that needs to be engaged and structure is really uh, the irony. I have this uh, tool that I've spoken on before called the dream, the sandbox and the story, which is a way of troubleshooting how we're creative and is to basically address where we get stuck. And we get stuck on this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. Joe. We like, we, we want to find what the answer is as opposed to multiple answers and be humble enough to know. And those of us, the young people listening, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. And the Jahari window, you know, I'm more of this, that's bigger quadrant. It's like the gigantic part of the, of the, the map is, is this because I, I'm understand as I'm mapping out what I know and don't know. And then I'm also willing to see that there's maybe two things, two roads. Maybe the answer from God isn't that I should take this job or that job. It's that I should just be with him. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, yeah. I could go down. I was getting ready to go down the road, but uh, I don't want to do that. So, um, <laughs> what was the what was the uh, the book, the neuroscience book or doctor that you just mentioned? Um, the Creative Brain, Doctor Shelley Anderson, I believe it is. It's a really great book, even though it's academic. It's very approachable. And of course, you can wait for my book next year, which is going to reduce down uh, my own interpretation of of hers and other people's research. Um, but she really does a great job at explaining, you know, you can grow your brain and here's the science to prove that to be more creative. And of course she has these seven different brain sets, for instance, um, uh, one is about being disinhibited, you know, I, where I'm, I'm able to have thoughts enter my head. Now, if those of us who are ADD like me can't help that, mm -hmm. but it's actually a superpower because when you want, to have some ideas and you're willing, you know, that just works for in your favor. Then there's, and then I'm also kind of, I would say that one of them is um, one of the other brain sets is uh, throwing a blank here. Um, it's about more being evaluative, evaluative. Mm. I like that one too, where I can like look for the frontal part of my brain is judging. So basically what she does, she take, you know, parts of your brain that are uh, say you're, prefrontal cortex, those of us, I'm not that smart to get this technical, 
but then you have other parts like motivation parts of your brain. You have different, you have right and left brain, which are basically she describes. And I didn't realize it's separate brains actually. And discipline, learning how to discipline and, 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 and the connections between certain parts of your brain in her theory is what makes um, us um, able to fit in what she calls it's a brain set, a set of connections. And she has actually exercises for that too. But convergent and divergent. What we don't have in our society is, is more ways to think about solving problems. And the genius of America is we used to be so much better at this. We're great when it comes to user, inter user interface for a game on the phone. <laughs> but we're not using this to basically love our neighbor, to write worship yeah. music, to plant churches. For instance, one of the things I learned about for church planting homogeneous unit principle and back in the 70s this was presented as what churches need to be because you would go into an area it's easier if they all have the same language for instance to reach them and the guy who said this the one thing he said you got to be careful of those don't use that as just all you do because then you can become racist because then your church will grow into this bigger bigger group and so church growth is we have been addicted in america to growing a wider and whiter big church, the evangelical church, because we haven't used the HUP as it was intended. We use it because we like to grow things big and a business model is wonderful because it pays for things like a million dollar video walls and stuff like that. <laughs> Sorry. But when you have a real church, it's a family. And in a family, um, it's not transactional. Mm -hmm. um, it's not transactional. You could have a disabled child. You still love that child and care for it. everyone in the family is, is going to share the suffering of that one child. And yeah. a church represents similar kinds of things. We have people who are hurting, but when this, this setting, you know, we can't have people, for instance, who are oppressed coming into our church because then that's going to make it weird. We're all doing great. We live in this nice neighborhood behind a fence and, and I'm exaggerating there a little bit, but it, the part of this is true. So that's one way that divergent thinking is needed. We need as Christians to create more to be more creative to be let and it's structure and this is the this is the uh paradox structure is being more creative because you're deciding on what to solve um you're deciding on rules like emily and i saying we want a song a woman and a man can sing because that is a problem you know that we want to solve we want someone to trust us when they see a beautiful liturgy and we give them sheet music which we do have some um, that they can do it at their church. And we're going to trust the fact that a 26-year-old worship leader with a 62-year-old woman on the piano will be able to work together. We're trying to solve a different, it's divergent. That's thinking differently than let's just make a loop and have the young people do worship all the time and just watch back and just so we can reach more people because people want cool. Well, our generation liked cool. The younger generation, they want authentic. Yeah. They want real. And that means when you do stuff like that, even though you're hiring their faces to do it, their generation isn't responding. Lots of irony today, Rich. <laughs> Lots of irony. Yeah. I had some good coffee today. That's why. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we've been on for quite a while and I, I, I'd like to keep chatting, but I know I also have to make lunch for my son. Um, <laughs> this is, this is a COVID COVID world. Um, but I, uh, want to give, invite people. I think David's been sharing links along the way. Is that right, David? Well, I've just been, I've just been taking notes on the comments when he mentions a name, Okay, but I will, I will post some links here in the comments to, uh, Spotify, your Spotify page. And do you have a, a website I can post a link to? Rkblog.com. <laughs> Um, and that's that you'll find most of the stuff on there. And I have a new thing I'm launching next week. You look for it called keep creating blog. And that's really the stuff that we're talking about with this creator. I really think, um, and even talking to you guys, it just really converges <laughs> in, in me that, um, you know, this idea of creativity is kind of a subversive window I can get into to people who don't know God and mm -hmm. don't know they want to know God. Right. And to those of us who, who know God, but need to really appreciate how God made us in our brains and uh, made us to create. And those of us who are artsy learn to be more 
structured or those of us who are super structured learn to be more disinhibited and and how there's these there's a beauty to to discipline and a beauty to structure but also beauty to playing and breaking rules too so are, but on, keep creating dot blog so on the on the keep creating dot blog are we going to see some hints about the book that's coming out next year? yes you're going to see some hints i'm going to just put some short posts about some things that i'm um working on and writing and I figure I might as well share some of them before I forget them. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and so that's kind of where that's going. Yeah. I, what I'd like to do when we're done, if, um, you guys have been exchanging emails or whatever, but to make sure that when we share this, we get some more links up there. So people who've been following along, um, you, you may be uh, a new face to them and, uh, to make sure that they have access to the work that you've done, um, as, as a creative, as an intellectual, um, and as a guy who's part of my generation, you know, it's like, although with much better hair, much better. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily I was able to get into our barber because the lockdown hair was just like, <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Any other things, David or, or rich to share today before we wrap up? And here's me being the, um, shutdown host. So I apologize for that. No, I just, I posted all the links in the comments here on Facebook. So Excellent. if someone's listening to the audio version of this later, go go over to our facebook.com slash worship ministry catalyst, and you can find all the links there to it. Of course, it will be an audio version that comes out here in a little bit. Um, but if you're listening to this on audio, then you're well aware that it's already come out on audio. So <laughs> I guess I didn't really need to say that. So, um, but I put a link up there to his, uh, to, your book, Six Hats of the Worship Leader. We talked about that a long time ago on the podcast uh, when I, when you wrote that. I remember uh, Kevin and I talked about that. Um, yeah, and then I, I was just I was just kind of going back. I, you know, I found one of our early episodes, Kevin. And, uh, the focus of the episode was a was a, an article you wrote. So, so you've been you've been influencing the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast for a long time. Well, it's my honor to do so. I mean, you guys. You know, we're we're all in this together. And with COVID, um, you know, I just people out there don't feel alone because every each of us, like it's probably for all three of us here. It's we've had some hard days. Mm -hmm. And so reach out to somebody if you need to. Thanks for joining us once again on the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. And make sure to add your voice to the conversation. You can find us at twitter.com slash WM Catalyst. On Facebook at facebook.com slash worship ministry catalyst. Or head over to worshipministrycatalyst.com and drop us a note. 